Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Now, for those of you who are in-house and have a bulletin, it says Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. We're going to shorten that a little bit. Uh, Just go down to verse 8. And the title says, uh, Baptism Bonanza. Because that was my original title when I first looked at uh, this passage. I have a uh, general tendency to plan out uh, about three months of messages in advance. I kind of look and study ahead of what I want to what I want to preach on, and then uh, as I go, come to it week by week. Sometimes that'll change. Uh, sometimes the Lord will give me something completely different, and uh, sometimes I'll just feel a need to focus and. It was originally Baptism Bonanza. That was because of crazy title. It probably was never going to stay exactly that in the first place. But uh, the idea there was there was multiple baptisms going on. And part of the passage just talked about John the Baptist and his ministry of baptisms. But also then there came the, the uh, ministry of Jesus, his initial baptism, and then his beginning ministry. But... Um, The Lord led it, um, as I began to study and think about this passage, I felt the need to just focus uh, simply on John's ministry and his baptism. And so today we're going to talk about the power of repentance as we focus on John's baptism. Now, if you are physically able, I want to ask if you would please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is living and active. Father, that your word speaks Your word is powerful. Your word changes lives. And Father, as we read from your written word, Lord, we pray that the spirit of your living word, the spirit of Jesus would work among us today to enliven our hearts, to illuminate the word so that we can see clearly. Father, We pray that you would remove any darkness. Father, anything that is obscuring what we need to know about becoming more like Jesus, what we need to understand and obey about confessing our own sins and failures, our own rebellions, and turning to you. Father God, we come to you earnestly asking, Lord, that you would cleanse us and draw us closer to you. Make us people who are holy and pure and ready for your service. And God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may be seated. The traditional Christmas stories that, uh, that we read and focus on at Christmas time come from Matthew and Luke. And uh, those are the places where we get all the stories about the manger, about the magi, and, and all those sorts of things. Mark and John go two separate ways. John goes way, way back. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was God. The Word was with God, and, and he you know, goes back to the very beginning. He gets real deep and theological, and Mark, who is just a... He is a gospel writer who is always on the go. He is really just cutting the, everything out he can possibly cut out and just kind of giving us the, the, the minimalist version. He just takes up with Jesus in his adult years. He goes, boom, here's, here's John the Baptist on the scene and here comes Jesus. And so he just kind of skips all over those birth narratives and he says, hey, by the way, there was a prophecy about a guy who was going to come and out in the wilderness and proclaim the, the way of the Lord. And, hey, here's John. And he shows up, and he does that very thing. Well, if you remember, some of you, a few weeks ago, as we were going through our Advent messages, we talked about some voices of hope that came to Israel when they were down and out, when they were beaten down, when they were exiled, and they didn't know if they were really ever going to make it back to the homeland, whether things were going to be all right again. And one of those voices, one of those messages that came in the second half of Isaiah talked about preparing a way for the Lord. And there was a, there was a homecoming, so to speak. You know, and, and this homecoming where they were going to get to go back to, to the city of Jerusalem. They were going to get to go back to their homeland and finally be in their nation again. That homecoming, those passages about that, had a greater fulfillment here in John the Baptist. Now, the people had been back, and yet the homecoming hadn't really been completely fulfilled. Because the nation of Israel had not truly returned or really ever become what God had intended it to be. Uh, they were not ready for the Messiah. And the Messiah was almost here. The Messiah was coming. But they weren't ready for the Messiah. So God sends his forerunner, John the Baptist. He is the one. He is the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is saying homecoming is happening. Because guess what? Homecoming takes preparation. Uh, high schools have homecoming. It's interesting. In our, here in our community, New Hope didn't have their high school homecoming in the fall. They're going to have a homecoming in the spring. How's that going to work? I don't know. It'll be interesting to find out how a homecoming in the spring is going to work. All right. We as a church have a homecoming or, or we third Sunday, we call it every year. Last year, we didn't get to have that normal third Sunday homecoming. That was very strange for us to not have that. But we know when we have a normal third Sunday or normal homecoming, that doesn't just happen. There's a lot of work from a lot of people to make that all happen the way that it should. There's a lot of preparation that goes on. And in this case, with Jesus coming, there was a lot of preparation, namely spiritual preparation, that needed to happen if Israel was going to embrace their Messiah. And so there came on the scene, prepared by God, John the Baptist. 
and he, became, he began preaching. It says he appeared in the wilderness. And it's interesting, almost like poof, out of nowhere. He appeared in the wilderness. John just shows up. He says he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you will uh, search your Old Testament, has anyone ever seen anything about baptism in the Old Testament? I never have. Have, have any of y'all? I don't really think it's in there, okay? Some of y'all might find it and prove me wrong, but as far as I know, baptism isn't really in the Old Testament. Um, it was something that kind of came along just like in the Old Testament. You don't find anything about synagogues, and then all of a sudden you get to the New Testament, and there's synagogue this and synagogue that. It's one of those things that, that developed and came along in the period between uh, the New and the Old Covenant writings. And it, here's the thing about baptisms before John. There were some baptisms out there before John's baptisms, okay? But they were not for the Jews. They were something that the Jews had said, hey, this is something for um, non-Jewish people who are coming in and they're wanting to, you know, of course, they still wanted them to do the whole circumcision thing. But, you know, if there's something else they can do to just prove that, that they're really wanting to get serious about God, then they can be baptized. Although, interestingly enough, from what the historians and the scholars tell us, um, they didn't really have someone baptizing them. They would just simply go then and dunk themselves uh, in the river, in the water. And, uh, and that was the only kind of baptism that was being done. And Jews themselves would not do this. They would not submit to this. They, of course, were circumcised. They were already the people of God, God's special chosen folks. And they said, you know, yes, that's good for those other folks, uh, but not for us. So John comes on the scene, and he begins preaching this message. He comes out of nowhere. Now, the Bible doesn't usually talk about what people wear. Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, I don't think we've got a description of what most folks in the Bible wear. If we had a description of what Jesus wore, can you imagine everybody would have Jesus suits or Jesus shirts or Jesus pants or Jesus robe? I mean, that would be the top seller of all Christian bookstores. And, you know, I mean, you think the WWJD bracelets was a big thing. I mean, if we had any idea exactly what Jesus wore, if it was anything different than whatever the normal Jewish men of that day wore. But, but we don't really hear anything about that. The Bible doesn't usually talk about what people wore. But obviously, what he was wearing was not what everybody else was wearing, or else it wouldn't have stood out enough for Scripture to talk about it. Okay, so he wears this crazy get-up, this, <coughs> this crazy outfit, camel hair, um, I'm going to say that probably wasn't too comfortable. It probably wasn't very refined and smooth and, and uh, might not smell too good. Who knows? He had this camel hair uh, robe and he had a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. Um, I, I don't know about, that's not really a carb-free diet. I don't know, keto maybe? I, I don't know how you describe that diet, but that's a strange, strange diet, Okay. And the Bible also says he just appeared in the wilderness. So there's a lot of, oh, wow, here's a really strange dude 
let's go out and check it out. There's a novelty factor for this guy, John, all right? And the Bible says everybody, all right, was going out to see him. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to, went out to him. Now, does that mean literally every single resident of Israel? No. It's the way we talk. Man, everybody was at that concert, or everybody was at Walmart the other day when I went there. I saw everybody I know. No, you didn't literally see everybody you know, but it just felt that way. Okay, that's the kind of language. It was like everybody was going out to see John. Everybody, he was big news. Everybody was talking about John. Everybody was listening to him. There was a weird factor about him, but guess what? That wasn't new. There was a weird factor about a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. That's probably one reason they listened to John, because you go back and there was some weird stuff that God told the Old Testament prophets to do. Sometimes the way they dressed, sometimes the way they didn't dress at all. Sometimes the things they did, the actions they took, the words they said, there was a lot of times a, a, a weird factor to them that kind of made them stand out and made people listen and say, oh, maybe this guy really is a prophet because he, he sure isn't a normal guy. And so everybody who was anybody, everybody who had a chance to, was going out and listening to John. And John had a message. He said, you guys need to get ready. You need to, the Bible says it was specifically, he was baptizing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as we look at this, there was a, uh, we automatically, we hear those words, and because of our Christian ideas and Christian background, we can easily think, like, equate that to getting saved. But this wasn't getting saved. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. There was no message of, of, of Jesus yet, okay? This was getting them ready to hear the message of the gospel. A baptism of repentance and of, of uh, getting ready. It was a, 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 the idea is this. I'm floundering here. I get it. Uh, the idea was, I am going to get my walk with Jesus right. I'm going to get my walk with God right so that when the Messiah shows up, there'll be nothing standing between me and God so that I will accept him and understand him completely. That there'll be nothing that will stop me from accepting and receiving the true Messiah. And so this baptism of repentance was not the salvation that we think of, of, um, of eternal salvation, forever forgiveness of sins. This baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins was saying, I'm going to confess my sins so that I will be close to God. All my sins confessed, I, there won't be anything between me and God so that I can hear him. And I can be ready for what he wants to do in my life. And these folks who actually did repent, who actually did draw close, were the ones who were ready and their hearts were opened. And they actually received the message of the Messiah when he came. 
Now, how many folks came out to the crowd and just rejected it and said, oh, this is, this is foolish and ridiculous stuff? Well, we know there were some. We know that the religious leaders, other places in the Bible, tell us that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come out and John knew right then and there they were only there to criticize. And he looked at him and said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? He knew that they weren't there to get right with the Lord. They were simply there to criticize, condemn, and to try to, try to put down the movement. Were there others who weren't so open in their rejection, but they were simply there for the ride? Absolutely. There are always people that will come out for a spectacle, and John was a spectacle. There were plenty of people who were there and probably even walked in the waters, but they were just going through the motions. But there were those who truly were sorry for their sin, who truly were repentant of their sin. And for them, that baptism, again, this was John's baptism, which is separate from Christian baptism. This is, you can't get John's baptism today. You can still repent today. And all of us as Christians are called to repent over and over and over. A lot of times in our minds, we hear the word repentance and, and we just categorize it with salvation. A lot of us, most of the words of repentance in the Bible are actually addressed toward believers. They're addressed towards those of us who are already believers. We've gotten away from the Lord and God is saying, you need to get your heart right. And once your heart gets right, you need to get your life back right with God. You need to get your fellowship back right with God. Be in that close communion so you don't miss me. And also so that you don't uh, feel my discipline upon you. Because what does the Lord say? He says, those whom I love, I discipline. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, God is patient. Yes, God is kind. Yes, he is long-suffering. But there is a point as you walk away from him. If you stray off the path at a certain degree, at some point, God says, you know what? I, I got to take you to the woodshed because I love you. I've got to correct you. I've got to get you. I've got to do what it takes to get you back on the right path. And depending on how hard headed you are and how stubborn you are, the measures God may have to use might be more and more severe to do that in your life. John was simply saying, repent. He was talking to a nation who, yes, we know they were not all believers, obviously, but a nation that was supposed to be believers. They would have identified, almost all of them would have identified as, we are God's people. We are the chosen ones. We are the Hebrews. We're the special ones. We believe in Yahweh God. But in reality... Many hearts were far from him. And he called them and he said, you guys need to repent. Jesus' first disciples came from the disciples of John. Think about that. John's disciples, that is, ones who were following him, Ones who were learning, they were the ones who were already, they were like, yes, you are right, John. We've gotten to a place of complacency. 
We have gotten to a place where we were not walking in holiness. We were not walking in righteousness. We were not really living for the Lord. We'd just gone casual, even though we'd been prideful about our place as believers. We weren't really trusting and following. We, we, We had gotten prideful. We had gotten into sinful lives. We had let anger or greed or, or immoral or impure thoughts, we had let all sorts of things overtake us in our life. And we had gotten far from the Lord, even if we held up a great veneer or a great facade of religiosity. We weren't really walking the way we should walk. And they had genuinely repented. And for them in that baptism, which was called John's baptism... And again, it's not one that exists today. It was just a, a, a short period of time before Christianity, true, the true church, came on the scene here. But that period of time, John was getting ready for the Messiah. And he was creating, through God's will, a group of people who had repented and they were ready to receive the message. And those folks were the very ones, those who were ready, who were listening, who said, yes, God, I confess. I haven't been where I need to be. And now I want to be ready for whatever you want to do. It was from that bunch that Jesus said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. That bunch was where Jesus found his first followers that became his disciples. I think all of us this week who have emotions at all, we've been a little bit torn up. Uh, We've been a little bit... um, a little bit all over the place. I mean, I kind of feel like if your emotions have been this steady, uh, you're either a robot or you're on some powerful drugs. Because we've watched things in our country that just are, are not normal. They just aren't. And this is even for those of us who know fully, hey, we know that this world is not our ultimate home. We know our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, we can quote from the psalm that says some trust, you know, in horses and, and some trust in, in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We know these things. We can quote these things. We believe they're all true. And, and yet, all of that being true, while that gives us assurance and it tells us that our hope, our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ and it's not in any earthly leader, we know that to be true. And yet that does not take away from the pain and heartache of seeing pain and heartache, of experiencing what our country is going through. And we see it as we talk to people, we see it in social media, we see it in the news. And I imagine uh, you, like me, it's one of those kind of things. We look, we don't look, we don't want to look, but then we halfway look, you know, it's kind of. And one of those things, um, as I looked at so many different people and their feelings and their expressions, and, and we've had all sorts of expressions. We've had all sorts of 
ways of who we think should be to blame, what we're going to do about it by stop being a part of this or starting doing this and what we think should we done. And that's not my place to do all that here. But one comment probably stuck out to me above all. Uh, and, and it was Gary's comment, Gary Perminer, when he quoted um, the old spiritual, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that there's not accountability in our country. On multiple levels, for people, um, that's not it at all. All over, for recent events, for events that have been going on for the past year, two, three, whatever, all sorts of accountability, and we need to be a place in our country where we value life, where we value freedom. But we also, what hit me so strongly about that statement is I was looking around and seeing all the anger and rage from so many different people. It hit me how angry I was. I realized that at that moment, I was so angry that if the wrong person had been teleported right in front of me, I'm not sure what I might have done. I was so angry. And I could have justified it. You know, I mean, can't we all? Righteous indignation versus cuckoo rage kind of depends on your point of view, right? If you're the one who's doing it, oh, yes, I was, yes, that was righteous indignation. No, you're just a nutcase who's, gone, who's lost it. It, it kind of all depends on what, how you're looking at this. And I began to understand that while there are legitimate reasons to point all kind of fingers I have to look at myself first I have to do what Jesus said and pull the log out of my eye before I start pulling the splinter out of others his words to judge not lest ye be judged have been misquoted and misunderstood often Jesus did not he did not remove the ability of us to evaluate others and their behavior. We absolutely have to do that. But if, before we begin to attempt to do that, we do have to look at ourselves. Uh, we do have to check ourselves. We do have to gauge ourselves. We will, as believers, <clears throat> have different views, uh, politically, um, and in all sorts of areas. We'll have different things and and I don't know how to change that it'd be so easy if we just all of a sudden believed the same things uh, politically and and all that kind of stuff but that's like trying to make everybody like the same football team you know it's just not that way it's just not gonna happen 
But what we can say is we can all look at ourselves. And as believers, we can make a commitment to do what's right. We can say, as in the Old Testament, we can draw a line in the sand and we can say, Choose you this day who you'll serve. As for me and my house, will serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to love him. And I'm going to show love towards others. And I'm going to look at myself. And I'm going to say, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do in the midst of this? Because guess what? 2,000 years ago, it was a crazy, cruel, violent world that the Jews lived in. They were under the thumb of an emperor who cared nothing for their lives. And they were under, under him, they were under the thumb of Herod who cared nothing for them either. He was just, uh, just a somebody who is there for himself, and under them were others. They were oppressed. They didn't have the kinds of opportunities that we have living in America. But yet God called them to look, to get right. So I'm here today to say this. I can say as Christians, The one thing I can say for sure that I know that God is calling all of us to do is to get right with him. Where he leads you to respond after that, that'll be between you and him and the Lord. But the first thing I know that he wants all of us to do is to come to a place where you say, God, I want to be as close to you as I can possibly do be. Because I know that you're moving. I know that you're working. I know that you draw glory and that you bring good things out of all things. Bible never says all things are good, but it says that you bring good out of all things. And you're working to bring glory to yourself even out of this. And I want to be a part of it. And I want to be right where I need to be with you. And the way to do that is to say, God, I repent. Wherever I've been wrong, of my known sins, I confess them to you. Of my unknown sins, Father, I ask for you to forgive for forgiveness, and I ask for you to bring them to mind and call them to mind. God, I want to be right with you so that you can prepare me for whatever you have next. I encourage you, whatever God's put on your heart, And let me just say one more thing. Somebody taught me a long time ago. The things that irritate you and bother you and vex you most in others are often the things that you have a problem with yourself. So if you can think about what has made you angriest and most frustrated with, you might need to check and see if there's a little bit of that in you that God is calling you to work on in your own life with him. Would you pray with me? Father God,
We stand before you an imperfect people. Father, those of us who know you and have a personal relationship with you, we understand that we are redeemed by the blood of Calvary that your son shed there. But Father, we understand that in practice, Lord, we fail often. Lord, we, we stray. We are prone to wonder. God, I pray that you would call us to a place of repentance. God, that you would call us to a place of restoration. That we'd put aside pride. That we'd put aside our judgment of others for a second. To turn back and look at ourselves. To explore our own failings. To say, God, we want to be where, in a place where we're ready for whatever you have for us next. That we won't miss out on your movement. Deal with us, Father. Lord, do not lose patience with us, but be long-suffering with us. God, do not allow us to tune you out or become hard-hearted or stiff-necked. Allow our spirits and our hearts to be tender. Father, that we will not ever stop hearing your voice. But Father, may your kindness lead us to repentance. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.